Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. And we are back. Well, kind of, sort of. We got a new <laughs> episode out. Let's let's just leave it at that for now. We got a new episode and we're just going to kind of see where it goes from there. <laughs> but uh, sorry we've been away for so long. I don't even remember how long it's been now. But it's been a while and, uh, and we have been missing the show and we had been... Uh, pestered and nagged and cajoled and everything else to get a new episode out so just to shut you people up here's a new episode i didn't know there was an opposite of a cease and desist order (laughs) from the court it's a get off your ass and get an episode out order (laughs) (laughs) that is the technical name of this thing i got in the mail too (laughs) came with my issue of hustler so, uh, ooh, Hustler, kidding. I like Hustler. Oh, yeah, Hustler, for when Playboy's not trashy enough for you. Yes. <laughs> I don't actually have a copy of Hustler, because we live in the 21st century. Why do you need to buy porn? This is true. It is at my fingertips for free. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're off to a blazing start in this one. Um... Okay, so you're going to run first. And, uh, yes, I am. Uh, okay. Going back to the little rusty at this because we haven't done one of these in quite some time. Um, so I'm, I've got the DC book for, or I guess that's my publisher of choice this time because we always say that we're not strictly sticking to DC and Marvel. But let's face it, that's our, that, those are our favorite <laughs> publishers. So oh, we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, over it, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the Superman homepage, which I co-host with my friend Jeffrey Taylor. We have recently gotten into the 1992 books. We've just finished up Panic in the Sky as of this recording. And right after Panic in the Sky, a certain Man of Steel joined a certain League of Justice. Uh, that is when they had Justice League Spectacular, which we covered on the, bo- on the, on the, on the, on the show. I was about to say the store. Can you tell I've been at work all day? Um, <laughs> um, we covered the Justice League Spectacular and Justice League America number 61, which was the first issue where Superman joins the team officially, uh, tells Maxwell Lord where to stick it in a pretty awesome scene where he basically walks in and says, um, don't call us, we'll call you, stay the fuck out of our business. And it's also the scene where Ice fell in love with Superman. Have you read that issue? I, If you're talking the Superman issues of, of Justice League, yeah, yeah, I have those. I, I read them when they came out. Because to me it was like, 
when he joined, it was like, oh, it's about damn time, you know? <laughs> because I didn't mind it then that it was a bunch of, you know, B and C and Z-listers at that point, so long as Superman was in charge. You know, I, I liked that. I, I liked that run quite a bit. So, uh, Ice just completely, like, Superman walks in, tells Max, stay out of this. You know, if we need you, we'll tell you. But guess what? We're probably not going to need you. This is our Justice League. And I'm Superman, so I can say this shit. Uh, she immediately, Ice immediately starts yelling at Max. And my joke was, Superman starts yelling at Max and her panties get wet. <laughs> And suddenly they're reenacting love in an elevator as they leave the building. He actually melts ice. <laughs> nice. Um, but Justice League Europe had kind of a little, I don't want to say reboot because it's not a reboot, uh, resurgence, I guess I should say, under the hands of Gerard Jones, who was actually scripting Justice League Europe uh, under the Giffen plots. And... I've I found a couple years after all of this happened an issue of Comic Scene where both of them were interviewed about their coming onto the Justice League and what this means. And Dan Jurgens was pretty upfront about the fact that I'm taking the Justice League back to a serious league. You know, I'm you know these the, this is the premier super team. Superman's on it now. It's not going to be all blah ha 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 ha. And I never took it that he was coming down on that i think you know just in his mind he wanted to uh, to take the league back to where it should be uh gerard jones didn't do that uh, <laughs> and this first issue of justice league europe after justice league spectacular which is number 37 cover date april 1992 with a cover price of one dollar um is the book i have chosen to talk about today we have a cover that has a dude pointing some kind of magic wand looking thing at the justice league we have flash batman aquaman crimson fox and power girl and they're all being turned into avant-garde art this is actually a takeoff of the cover to i believe justice league of america number nine where all the justice league members on the cover are being turned into trees and that was the origin of justice league if i remember and it says doomed by deconstructo this is written by Gerard Jones, with art by Ron Randall and Randy Elliott, lettered by Willie Schubert, colored by Gene D'Angelo, and edited by Brian Augustine. The uh, issue title was Changing, and it's kind of a joke, because the first uh, image we see is, well, it depends on how you want to look at it. What's really happening is the female Dr. Light is standing there in nothing but a towel, zipping up Power Girl's new costume. You could take that that she's unzipping it too, especially the look on Crimson Fox's face across the room. Because <laughs> she looks like she's about to take off her gear too. And this is going to be a very special issue of Justice League Europe. <laughs> I need to track this issue down. <laughs> Anyways, she goes, what are you staring at? And yells at the elongated man who had just happened to walk by. And there's a comedy beat where his leg gets stuck in the door and it comes out and <laughs> kicks himself in the face. And his wife, Sue, yells at him for being, well, him. We are introduced to... 
the um, I'm sorry, Inspector Marple of Scotland Yard, who is going to be the Justice League's liaison in England. And immediately, Sue starts telling about the problem they had the previous night when her and Dr. Light went by the embassy to check it out, because they are hanging around the embassy until the lease runs out. So a, a super team, basically, just to tell you, is moving into an embassy that they are going to then have to move out of a week later. I have no idea why this is going on. <laughs> Anyways, Sue and the female Dr. Light, uh, whose name escapes, whose real name escapes me right now, uh, came to check the place out uh, about a week before and found a vagrant vandalizing it. Dr. Light, who had been holding on to some weapons that they had confiscated during Justice League Spectacular, um, drops one of the weapons, which the guy picks up, and they're all like, ah, you know, what the heck. Uh, that's not such a big deal. I mean, he only used it to, to allow himself to disappear. And Inspector Marple and her discuss the weird graffiti while Perry White runs out of the uh, fitting room. Okay, it's not Perry White. It's a guy that looks like Perry White. I mean, it's a dude <laughs> in brown pants, a vest, and a white shirt. This turns out to be, if I'm remembering correctly, the guy that fitted all of the Rogues' um, outfits in the Flash comics. So, uh, very strange there. Nice little bit of continuity. Uh, we come in, we return to the dressing room where Power Girl and Crimson Fox and the female Dr. Light are. The female Dr. Light is getting fashion tips from the Crimson Fox who is convincing her to cut her hair. Uh, Power Girl has one of her mood swings after being asked if she's having one of her mood swings. And we cut to the Flash and Aquaman having a conversation about the fact that uh, Aquaman works too hard. The uh, seamster, I know that's not what it's supposed to be called, but I can't call him a seamstress because it's a man, (laughs) comes in and asks if the Flash and Aquaman are going to get new costumes as well. And they say no because, you know, we, we, we have our own books right now. And you really can't do that because you got to go through a bunch of different editors to to uh, change our costumes. Plus, you know, I'm Wally West. I'm about to change my – I just changed my costume. Any, none of that happens, but that's just what really happened. So outside, the guy that broke in and stole the little weapon is walking around the embassy going, Heroes, art, nonsense. Culturalist Americans call, calling themselves Justice League Europe, imposing their naive lie on countries that know better but are too weak to fight back. The lie of hero. It's the same imperialism as the art patrons, the superheroes of wealth who sponsor the art that erects the life of meaning. There is no meaning in art, in life, in history. We can only know what our minds choose to let us know. Language is a lie. So right away you know this guy's batshit crazy. Uh, which is always good for a villain. Uh, From a a higher floor in the embassy, Bruce Wayne is talking to an old stuffy guy about the local deconstructionist artist and how basically this guy is pissed off because he wasn't invited to be part of this big Justice League gala that Bruce Wayne has thrown together and is taking it out on the world and starts holding his rod. (gasps) 
What? If this if this is making no sense, it, it, I, I apologize that that that, that so far that the book seems to make no sense. But basically, everything is played out exactly as I've told it. It's a very strange issue. It's not bad. It's just goofy as hell. Um, the uh, the old man asks um, Bruce uh, why his foundation is uh, basically doing this, and Bruce says that he has always had an interest in superheroes. That night, the Justice League is unveiled in their new costumes. Dr. Light is in this ugly yellow number. Power Girl is in that blue and white outfit she had with the like the knee-high boots and the little mini cape and the headband and all that. Yeah. Um, I applaud their efforts to return the bare midsection so you can see her cleavage, uh, but this costume was pretty much fail. From, from the beginning. <laughs> and the elongated man, Ralph Dibney, the man who has a public identity, everybody knows he's Ralph, has a mask. Right. This makes absolutely no sense. Dr. Light is uncomfortable. Aquaman is aloof. Uh, Bruce Wayne and Sue Dibney talk about the reunification of the team and all that, and the fact that they don't really have a leader yet. And, and Bruce says, superheroes are known for strong personalities, aren't they? And for impetuousness, violence of thought and actions. A leader would have to be resolute, unquestioning of his own purpose, nearly in, instinctive in his decisions, and constantly alert. Um, and Sue thinks, now here's a boy who knows the meaning of resolute. Why can't I find somebody like him to lead the bunch? Leading to me, doesn't Sue know that Bruce Wayne's Batman? That makes yeah. absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, all those, uh, I found that DC's very inconsistent in who knows whose identities and, and that sort of, th- at least I think they're inconsistent anyway. We are reunited with Kathy, who was the League, the Justice League Europe's previous liaison, and her and Sue talk. A guy hits on Dr. Light, who is very, very uncomfortable about the whole thing. And outside, Deconstructo starts reworking reality with the little rod that he has. One of the things he does is there's a bird and a flower, and he puts the bird's head on the flower and the flower's head on the bird. And he starts ranting again. A menu is as good as a myth. Order just a trick that ca- order is just a trick that chaos plays on us. We can only know what language thinks we should know. We're only be human because we believe in the fiction of human. And he starts messing with everybody in the party. The Justice League jumps into action, going after him, but it doesn't do a whole lot of good because he keeps warping reality around them, causing them, causing the walls and the ceiling to kind of switch places. They all fall, and when they get up, there is a piece of graffiti that says, God is art, and art is dead. Death is nonsense. And nonsense is just as a lad with a silly ma- name says a cat with a human head, to which Flash has the same reaction as I did, which was, Gah! And they find, and... <laughs> do you want me to do the silly French accent for Crimson Fox? Sure! Mon Dieu! Mon Dieu! Look! <laughs> and they say, they see, written in the building across the way, Deconstructo. So... Aquaman says we have to stop him. Flash asks how, and from off-panel we hear, with your minds, there is nothing that cannot be mastered with the mind. And they all turn around, and it's Batman. 
and Sue from a window up front says, especially with the mind of Batman as the leader of the JLE. Hmm. Um, I thought that Green Lantern became the... In a couple issues, he will. Oh, okay. He was kind of off-Earth at this moment, because Gerard Jones, who was also writing Green Lantern, had this extended arc that he wasn't the Green Lantern of Earth. Hal was the uh, basically rebuilding the core at the time, if I'm remembering correctly. And in issue 25, he's had enough of guy's shit, goes to Earth and fights for the right to, yeah. uh, to be the GL of Earth in an awesome issue. Yeah, I actually have that issue. The first 25 issues of Gerard Jones's uh, Green Lantern run w- was actually rather good. It's very underrated. The uh, the back 20, I guess, three or so, 24, were not as good. Um, I, I, I just I just didn't like them as much. This book, again, I'm sorry, I was all over all over the place. I really should have written a proper synopsis because I thought I could just wing it and make sense of this. Nah, we don't do that on Back to the Bins. We wing it. <laughs> um, it's not that it's a bad issue, and it's not that it's written badly because the comedy beats are funny. Gerard Jones has a very good gift for putting humorous dialogue in his characters' mouths. I mean, the the, the entire first opening splash page is says changing, and you have three women in there changing into their new outfits, with Power Girl looking at the camera and saying, what are you staring at? Um, to, set, to reestablish Justice League Europe, it's not a bad issue either. I, I think... Um, by bringing Sue Dibney back into it and bringing back Kathy, whose last name is escaping me at the moment. I like the lineup. Um, even Crimson Fox, who I was never really all that hot on. Um, and Dr. Light, who I'm kind of hit and miss with. And, and Robert Willing is pissed off with me right now because that's his favorite character. <laughs> uh, if he's still listening to it. Power Girl's here, which I like, but she's in that god-awful costume. Um, I like the yellow and white uh, like um, turtleneck costume better than this Ooh, one. Yeah, no, I don't like that one. And and it's just it's the biggest thing that I have with this issue as far as being a problem is the art. It's not that Ron Randall is a bad artist; his figures are just incredibly stiff. And when you have Dan Jurgens and Rick Burchett over in Justice League America. And, uh, you know, doing the art. And while their styles aren't what I would call extremely complimentary, they still make some damn good-looking superheroes. Right. And Ron Randall, especially when when the the heroes are unveiled at the party, it's a two-page splash, but everyone looks... I'm going to say it again. They look wooden, except for Elongated Man. And the only reason Elongated Man doesn't look wooden is because he's stretching. You know, Aquaman looks like a th- really funny, like he's got a, like, he kind of looks like William Cat with a buff chest. <laughs> um, Power Girl looks like she really has to pee. And Dr. Light just doesn't look good. God, that costume is awful. Why don't they stick with the black and white costume with her? Um, why is it that the secondary characters always get the lousy costume changes? Well, yeah, I was thinking when you were talking about that, I was thinking about that because they they did that a lot with these Justice League type spinoff. Because I remember they did the same thing in Extreme Justice right in the the early issues of that. 
they uh you know they went with that very like Rob Liefeld-esque type of art which I really didn't like and then they saddled Booster Gold with that just horrid looking outfit it looked like a rocket red outfit you know yeah. colored colored Booster Gold colors it was just terrible and I think there was one or two other characters in that book that they gave a, a new outfit that ended up not sticking too but I, I I could be wrong it's been a while since I read that I, I enjoyed the stories. I just the, I thought the art was atrocious. In yeah, Extreme Justice was actually a pretty decent title, and they did a lot of interesting things with Captain Adam. Yeah, uh, it was just a very um, it suffered from what a lot of books in the 1990s suffered. Yeah, I was just gonna from, say it felt like a very 90s book art wise, you know. But I so I agree it, with you. I think the stories were good. Um. As for the rest of this issue, I mean, it was basically set up. I, I, I really don't like Deconstructo as a villain. He feel he feels in line with like what Giffen would do, but he also feels like a very Vertigo character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, spouting off weird, bizarre philosophy involving art, altering reality. In, in a lot of ways, and. I don't want to say Gerard Jones wants to wanted to really write Doom Patrol at the time, but this character feels like somebody that should be in a Grant Morrison comic, and that's not an insult to Grant Morrison, Chris Johnson. Uh, just wanted to make, put that out there in case he's listening. Um, I'm not insulting Grant Morrison because I haven't read enough Doom Patrol to really form an opinion about it, but looking at the who's who entries from around... Grant Morrison's run on Doom Patrol, it was it seemed very bizarre. And this is one of those characters. He can warp reality, which is kind of a cool power in and of itself. I mean, you 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 you've had supervillains like this in the past that have fought teams like the Justice League or the Avengers. So it feels very much in with what it should be. It's just, you know, it has that kooky, you know, creepy bizarre looking kind of vertigo feel to it that uh that i just can't really warm up to uh because you have a pretty pretty straightforward superhero satire going on here and suddenly the villain shows up and he's just like weirder than everything else in there especially on that second to last page where you have the the cat with the human face uh, batman showing up at the end was not a surprise at all because we've seen bruce wayne throughout the entire issue and he looks terrible um he's standing there and his cape is flapping around him but his his cape does not look proportional in any sense of the word it's just like the bottom of the cape is just flapping in like 16 different directions like he took scissors to it and it's just fluttering around like random pieces of fabric so i'm uh i'm gonna reread these issues along with the justice league stuff as I, as I go through it for from crisis to crisis because it has been at least 14 years since I've read these books. I remember not really liking Justice League Europe as much, but you know, my mind could change. I mean, weird weirder things have happened uh with me in comics after a certain amount of time period has passed. So that's all I really got for this month uh, or this time or this week or however the hell it's going to work out for us. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned Grant Morrison because while you were doing your synopsis, I, I kept thinking to myself, well, this sounds very Grant Morrison-y to me, but I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was just me. So it's, it's funny you say that. 
Um, yeah, I gotta admit, this is this is a in a big old DC blind spot for me because I I collected um, Justice League Europe briefly, like when it first came out and was first introduced, and the art just didn't do it for me. It was I think it was Bart Sears. You didn't like the Bart Sears work? I, no, I was never really a big fan of his, and I stuck with it for a while because you know there were there was at least an issue, maybe a couple of issues that had a a Superman tie-in and all that, like when he came to save Power Girl's life and all that. But it just it didn't feel the same for me or, or close enough to the, the Justice League proper book that I eventually dropped it. And so, you know, this era you're, you're, that you're talking about right here, total blind spot, never read any of it. And I don't... I came back to the book way late, and I think it was only because they, they were doing a crossover... Event or something. It had something to do with uh, with triumph and all that. And I think those are the only other issues I've got of that series. Is way it's late right around zero hour. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the yeah. last issues of the book. Yeah. So yeah, everything in between is is you know something I, I have absolutely no knowledge of or anything. But it's one of those things that you know one of these days you know if a whole collection fell in my lap for cheap or something I might pick it up and and skim through it or what but I never felt like I was really missing anything it's not one of those things I I really hear referenced or or talked about you know as you know anybody talking about yeah you know this was a you know great run or an underrated run or anything like that but well going on my memories of reading the entire series in kind of one chunk uh I um I vividly kind of remember not hating the series, but it seemed that once um once Green Lantern showed up, mm-hmm. that this was the book Gerard Jones really wanted to write. Right. This was it. This was this was the big thing for him, and I um. I didn't like it as much, but but like I said, it's it's not something that I that, that I would spit on. Uh, I'm going to be reading it again, so obviously there's something about it that I like. Right. Uh, so it's going to be interesting going through everything again. It really will. Well, we ready for the other half here? Yes, sir. We got an email. We probably read it last time, but I can't remember. But in one of the last episodes, we we did read it. It was from uh, Eugene from Greenville, and uh, he had a request for us to to uh, for one of us to cover a particular book. And uh, I actually dug the book out right after that and read it. That was many many months ago. But I really, really enjoyed it, and so when we uh, decided we were going to do this episode today, I thought, well, I'll, I'll dig that one back out, because I remember enjoying it, and, and I had to reread it to kind of refresh myself. But this was my first time reading it. You know, I had it in the collection and everything, just hadn't made it around to this yet. But anyway, this is Captain America, issue 378. This is part of the uh, Streets of Poison um, crossover story. I think this may be the last chapter, but it's weird because the Streets of Poison banner is at the top, but it doesn't tell what chapter this is. Whereas I think I have other Streets of Poison issues that do say, you know, part, you know, two of four or whatever, but this one doesn't. It's, it just says Streets of Poison. So anyway, um, this is the uh, October 1990 issue. 
written by Mark Grunewald, uh, penciled by Ron Lim, who I really like, uh, inked by inked by Danny Bolanati. I always want to say Bolandi, but it's Bolanati. At least I think it's Bolanati. Um, and then you know all the other all the other people. Grandstand play is the uh, the name of the issue. It starts off and it's it's recapped in a beautiful way. There's a, a really nice opening splash, and it's basically it's uh, Captain America riding his sky cycle and kind of complaining to himself, "What a week I'm having!" Basically, and then pages two and three are you know it's one huge page. You know it's it's not a it's not a double page splash necessarily, but it takes up both pages. Across the top, you've got three more panels of Cap riding his sky cycle, and he basically recaps everything you need to know. And it's just, it's a really nice recap. And basically what's going on is uh, Cap is having a bit of a crisis of faith in himself because he was recently exposed to this new drug called ice, and it somehow like bonded with his blood or some shit, and so he had to have a complete blood transfusion. And when that was done, it basically left him with no super soldier serum left in him anymore. So he's kind of doubting whether he can actually continue to be Captain America. And kind of the point of this issue, or the you know, the, the the moral of the story that I took away from it at the end was, you know, Cap was trying to figure out, you know, was it the super soldier serum that makes the soldier or is it the soldier that makes the, sh- the soldier? So he had to go out. He was basically go out itching for a fight to try to prove himself. And, of course, one ends up falling right in his lap. The other half of the story, this is awesome. This I really, really liked. We've got a meeting between the Red Skull, who I think this was right after or not long after the Red Skull was actually in a cloned body of Steve Rogers, if I remember right. What what year did this come out? Uh, 1990. This was about two years after that. Okay. So he's feeling very cocky and confident. You can just tell by his stature and the way he, you know, the way he's holding himself and everything. He's having a meeting with the kingpin of crime. And basically the the Red Skull is trying to put the moves on the kingpin's territory. He says, you know, I'm the one that's behind this whole ice thing and I'm moving in. And you can either deal with me or, you know, I'm going to be a pain in your ass. And so they finally decide to have it out because the Kingpin's not having any of this. The Kingpin says, look, I might be a crime lord, but I'm all American. In a scene that really reminded me a lot of um, yeah. Eddie, Eddie uh, whatever his name, Eddie from The Rocketeer. You know, the same kind of thing. You know, I might be a cheap hood, but I'm all American, you Nazi bastard, or something to that effect. Yes. So there's a part here where... Uh, the Kingpin and the Red Skull both strip down to their underwear. They get locked underneath a plastic bubble, and then they uh, tussle and wrestle. It's only sort of gay. But it is a really good fight. And what I liked about this is that the Red Skull goes in completely overconfident, thinking that just because he's in the cloned body of Captain America that he's going to mop the floor with the Kingpin. And the kingpin kicks his ass. So that's pretty cool. The uh, the other half of the story is uh, rather conveniently, Cap just happens to notice that the lights are on at, I think this is Yankee Stadium where they're fighting. 
he just happens to be zipping around the city and notices, hey, the lights are on at Yankee Stadium. They shouldn't have the lights on this time of night. And I'm just thinking, okay, that's very convenient, but all right, I'll, I'll go along with the gag. So he winds up there. Crossbones has, had been there as kind of the Red Skull's bodyguard while this fight was going on. He notices Cap showing up. So he goes up to the roof. So while the Red Skull and the Kingpin are beating the crap out of each other, up on the roof, you've got Cap and Crossbones beating the crap out of each other. So you've got these two really epic tussles going down simultaneous with, with one another. And Crossbones is really giving Cap a hard time, and Cap's really starting to uh, to fear he might lose this fight because he says that when they fought each other before and Cap actually had the super soldier serum, that he couldn't beat him then. So he's like, how the hell am I going to beat him now? But I love this. Page 20, Cap actually fights dirty, and I love it. Crossbones has these, like, I want to call them tassels. I'm not sure what. He calls them ribbons. He says ribbons. And the, what it is is it's basically the ties on the back of Crossbones' mask, and they just kind of, you know, they're just kind of loose on the back of his mask. Cap grabs a hold of him, yanks uh, Crossbones' head back, exposing his neck, and then just like karate chops him in the throat and knocks him out. It's great. I love it because it's just damn dirty fighting, but it's great. You know, I mean, anything to take the guy down, which he does. So, you know, he's subdued the villain at the same time that uh, basically to win his fight, the kingpin grabs hold of Red Skull and then just belly flops on top of him. So you've got, you know, this massive guy crushing the Red Skull. And then he grabs the Red Skull's hands, or excuse me, head rather, in his massive hands and tells him that he's going to pop his head like a pimple unless, you know, he, he gives up. And so the, the Red Skull does grudgingly, you know, give up the fight and, and concedes to... The kingpin and the kingpin at that point is pretty much like, all right, now get the hell out of my backyard, you know. So the the bubble dissolves and uh, Red Skull slinks away like a whoop dog, just in time for Cap to show up and go, you know, what's all this then? And the kingpin's like, you know, basically, hey, you know, I took care of the Nazi for you, you know, no charge, and you know, I'm the hero of the day kind of thing. I love it's great. There's a nice little standoff between the two of them and Cap just says, I'll see to it they make a make you a blimp in the Thanksgiving Day parade and walks away, which is kind of a prick thing to do. It was still <laughs> funny. You know, Cap, Cap's actually really cool in this one. He's got some good one liners. See he winds up back at uh, Avengers headquarters and his girlfriend's waiting there and uh and Hank Pym. And another guy who I think is John Jameson, I think. It never identifies him, but I think this was during the time that John Jameson was playing like chauffeur, roadie type of guy for, for Captain America. And Hank Pym says, hey, Cap, remember that thing with your blood? I got it all straightened out. You know, I managed to, you know, run it through the, the washing machine or whatever, and, you know, we got all the shit out of your blood. So if you want your blood back, you know, we can give it to you. And Cap is really cool. He's like, you know what? I went out, I picked a fight, I tested myself tonight, I'm still Captain America, and I can do this shit without the drugs. And that's pretty much the end of it, and it's got a nice little, really cheesy nod to um, Barbara Bush's, you know, just say no. But it doesn't come Nancy off as Reagan. like... 
Or was it Nancy Reagan? Maybe it was Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan to just say no. Whatever. <laughs> Barbara Bush, Nancy, that's the same. Any, anyway. No, Barbara uh, Bush was famous for uh, for serving as first lady to her son. So uh, <laughs> that's just a joke on how old Barbara Bush yeah, looked in no comparison problem. to the, the George. She, uh, yeah, didn't she? She looked like she could have been his grandmother. That was, uh, yeah, yep. that was always creepy. And that's pretty much the end of the issue. There's a there is a backup story which I enjoyed without really knowing what the hell was going on or who any of these people were. But the art was interesting because um the art is very 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 early Mark Bagley. And it was Ooh. just a short little um backup story with this dude Battlestar, who I had heard of but I really didn't know shit about him. And this apparently was the issue where he got his superpowers back. And yeah, he was um, he <laughs> was the Bucky yeah. to John Walker, and he changed his name to Battlestar because Buck is a right. can be considered a racial slur right uh, towards African Americans. So, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> and uh, what what I really liked is he's got a he's got a really cool looking car. You know, he, he his car that he has in this reminds me a lot of a toy that I had when I was a kid for my Mego Captain America. It was called the Americar. And I just think it's really cool looking. It, it almost looks like a... Uh, my mother, the Americar. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a Trans Am or something with, like, Captain America colors. But it's, it's actually pretty cool. But the art was really nice. It reminded me a lot of, like, Thunderbolts era um, Mark Bagley. And then at the very end of it, it had a nice, it's a nine-panel page, you know, old-fashioned nine-panel page of Walker learning what actually happened to his parents. And completely silent last page. So I thought that was really cool. I, again, I really didn't understand exactly what was going on, and I was never a fan of John Walker, but this actually gave him a little bit of humanity, and he wasn't such the the abrasive asshole as he... he to me, John Walker was always very much like the Guy Gardner of the Marvel Universe, you know, just... You know, I, I never really cared for his character. He always just seemed extremely one-dimensional as just, okay, he's an asshole, that's his... Character. I liked him, actually, in really? that role, because he, he was the Guy Gardner of Avengers West Coast. Right. And John Byrne drew him awesomely. Mm -hmm. I really liked how Byrne handled that captain uniform that John Walker took over uh, until they gave him crappy armor, much like Booster Gold in Force Works. Right, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But That's yeah, like the crossover that never happened, Extreme Justice and Force Works. <laughs> Should have happened. I did like uh, when... when um, uh, Steve Rogers was wearing this uniform and mm -hmm. just calling himself the captain. I, I really enjoyed those. As a matter of fact, not long ago, um, I, I bought my youngest boy. I found, I found that figure, the old. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, I can't. It wasn't Secret Wars. It was that one. That no, it was came, a Toy Biz. Toy Biz. Was that was it. Yeah, Toy Biz. Toy Biz um, yeah, there was a figure of the captain, and it was actually really cool because it's you know it's basically Captain America, but instead of being you know where Cap's blue, he's black. And that color scheme actually works very well. The black, uh, and, the red, black yeah. red and, and white, you know, or red, white, and black, I guess you would say. It, it was really cool. I liked it. It's funny that you bring this story up because 
I remember back in like 2002, I went through my entire cap run, which at the time was 234 to the seventh issue of the Marvel Knights run. Mm-hmm. So I went through a good, over 20 years worth of Captain America in a couple of months. And I got to this story, and this was the post-John Walker Gruenwald, mm-hmm. uh, where before John Walker, the series was w- slowly got a lot better as it went along. And then after it, it was just like, this is a good story. This isn't. This is a good story. This isn't. The problem I have with Streets of Poison is that the entire point of it seemed to be that Mark Gruenwald was insinuating that the super soldier serum was a drug, which it wasn't. Because if it was a drug, it would have worn off unless he kept taking it. The super soldier process was the serum and the Vita rays coming together for a permanent effect. And I think it's really crappy to compare a serum that was developed to make humans better, basically, to create the super soldier, to compare that to, like, crack. It's just like, you know, it seemed like throughout the entire story, Steve Rogers was just like, I've been on drugs all this time. I don't need that. Well, Steve, you kind of do. I'm sorry. You can... (laughs) To do some of the stuff you you do, you you need the super soldiers here. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but having said that, this fight between the Red Skull and Kingpin, I still talk about this fight. Right, it was freaking epic. It was, and just <laughs> Red Skull was such a badass at this point. Just being in that. Because this is shortly after he got out of being stuck in a hole in the ground by Magneto. During Acts of Vengeance, which was like the best part of that series, was I only, Magneto going, I only joined this cabal to get at you. And by the way, my parent, I was in a concentration camp. (laughs) Ah, so awesome. No, but Ron Lim's Captain America, great take on the character. Loved his artwork. See, I, I have like a super solid run of Captain America. From I I, I want to say it's like because I read Cap I really discovered Cap as a kid when um, Mike Zeck was drawing the character. Another it, good. Yeah, it's solid stuff. But somewhere in that I'm not sure exactly what issue. I want to say somewhere in like probably like the 290s or thereabouts. Stopped reading it, and that was about the last I'd read Cap for a long, long time. And then I kind of got interested in, in filling in that gap between there and, like, say, like the uh, the Mark Wade stuff right at the very end of Cap before they canceled the title. And I found that, man, you can find that stuff, I mean, super cheap. I mean, really yes. cheap. Because, sadly, this whole era of Cap is really not um, highly, you know, not, not spoken of very highly or considered very highly. So I've picked up just about every issue in between, you know, just dirt cheap, but I really haven't made the time yet to actually sit down and read them. So this this issue actually whet my appetite to really want to go and, and read that in-betweener stuff, you know, that I really haven't read yet because it, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I really liked Grunewald's take on Cap and his persona because he wasn't quite as uh, 
quite as stolid as I remember him to be. You know, he actually joked around and and that kind of thing. So I like that. You know, he had some good one-liners, and then I liked it when he got serious in the fight. You know, he you know, again, you know, I always expect Cap to kind of be the the guy to take the high ground and you know and and fight you know professionally and all that. And when he gets dirty in this fight and just decides, no, he's a soldier. To, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's easy to forget that, that this guy was trained to take people out. The fact that he doesn't kill everybody when he fights them hand-to-hand is like a remarkable amount of self-control on his part. Though, during the Gruenwald run, it was Cat Never Killed, uh, which I call eternal BS on. Right. Um, I'm sorry, he wasn't, he wasn't shooting the Nazis with mercy bullets. Though maybe that's how the mercy bullet was invented. And that's how Punisher just got a, a hold of a bunch of war surplus, war surplus mercy bullets that were earmarked for Cap. But there was an issue, so like around three twenty or so, where Cap killed a terrorist on a plane. Mm-hmm. He had no choice. He took him out with an Uzi, and he agonized over it. And I remember hitting the freaking roof when I got to that issue. I'm like. Yeah, he'd be upset probably, but, you know, Cap's a soldier. You know, in, in, in battle, it's him or me. And this guy was about to kill a bunch of innocent people. I had to take him out. And Gruenwald was very emphatic that Cap doesn't kill. And I remember a letters page being almost completely devoted to a letter by Roger Stern's wife. Mm-hmm. Basically arguing against what Gruenwald was saying in terms of Captain America, because Roger Stern's Cap in Avengers killed people. Right. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a sequence that I was shown, I can't tell you which issue, where aliens are attacking, and Cap basically electrocutes one of them. <laughs> and it's like you could say, oh, he just shocked him. No, Cap killed that guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that dude's dead, <laughs> even though he's an alien. But um, I didn't mean to get on a soapbox about Captain America. I just have very specific viewpoints of the character. And one of them is that he's not a mad dog killer, but coming from the war he came from and being in the, the experiences that he, that he went through, that he wouldn't want to kill just for the sake of killing. But if push came to shove, right. and it was save the day or, and kill this guy or let him live and possibly put everyone at risk – Cap has the training to obliterate the person uh, by, you know, chopping him in the neck with his hand. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And I love Crossbones. (laughs) Crossbones is one of the best villains Mark Gruenwald ever created because he was kind of like this big badass that Captain America would fight. And I always love that. I don't think I've actually read that many stories with him, so it was kind of neat to find out that you know he can actually hold his own against Cap and everything you know in this story. So it was it was somebody that was on Cap's power level. Yeah, he's very capable. He is extremely capable, and that was nice. That was a nice uh, you know it was refreshing after you know prior to that the only person that really came to mind would be like say like Batroc the Leaper, who is just these days he's just a complete joke of a character. Which is odd because he is a master of one of the nastiest forms of hand-to-hand co- combat there is. Savat is not a funny and not a jokey type of martial arts. It's 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 serious. It's 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 the 
kind of thing you... It's not like ninjutsu, which kind of has block-block-kill um, as its maneuvers, as it was once described to me. Um, but it's not like... It's not like he's the man... I don't want to insult anybody, because every form has its has its, you know, its merits, but it's like Taekwondo, which is a lot of kicking. And I realize that masters of Taekwondo are very capable fighters, but I, I think that's basically what they made Batrock into, was that, you know, he said he was a master of Savat, but he basically was a master of Savat, because I think Stan Lee looked it up in a book and said, oh, that's what the French do. So, right. <laughs> What I don't did, think there was. Uh, I don't think the research team at Marvel at the time was was what you would call crack. So. <laughs> I kill you with mime. <laughs> well, that's all I got for this time. You got anything else? No, sir. All right. Well, as I said, guys, I'm not sure uh, what what regularity we're back at yet, but I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we will uh, try to get another one out someday. What do you think? I think that's, I think that's All it. Right. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsen.com and is a registered trademark of Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 